All right. That's all right. That's all right. How many of you went shopping Friday? I went shopping and I didn't buy anything. That's the way I like it. Keep the money in the bank, right? My wife bought something, but I didn't buy anything. How many of you have your Christmas shopping done? Overachievers right here. Overachievers. How many of you are like me? You'll wait till December 23rd? I like that. I like that. That's the way to do it. All right. Well, this morning, we're going to make one of your Christmas cards make sense. How many of you have ever seen Isaiah 9 and 6 on your Christmas card? Anybody? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. It's beautiful. It really is a beautiful uh, passage of Scripture. But I want to bring some context to that this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about the, the wonderful name of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 is what, where I want to begin this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Welcome to all of you, whether you're a regular return family, church family member or a guest. We're glad that you're here today. His name is wonderful. Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his government to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there's an enunciation. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it says that the government will be upon his shoulder. In other words, he will rise up to be a governor, the governor, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. And it tells us four things. It gives us four titles, four names for this governor. And his name is Jesus, by the way. But four titles for this governor. That His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And that is all, all one. I know that in, in some of the translations, there's a comma between wonderful and counselor. If you're, if you're reading that, like in the New King James translation, there's a comma there, but it's not necessary because it's actually one title. Uh, I, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29, it says this. It says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom, Right? So this, this goes together. He is a wonderful counselor. In other words, he is wise. He is wise, right? And he is a mighty God that declares that he is strong. He's an everlasting or eternal father. He's caring. And he is the prince of peace. He is peaceful. So four things, four titles, four attributes about our God, about our king, about our governor, that he is wise, he is strong, he is caring, and he is peaceful. Four declarations made about him, and his name shall be called wise, strong, caring, and peaceful. He is the prince 
of peace. Amen? So four declarations. And this, this, this word wonder, amazement, astonishment, that, I, 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 I love that. And that's just sticking with me, the awe of God, that we stand in awe of God, that we wonder. This, this king's wisdom is beyond all human wisdom. This man's counsel will be far above and away. It's like no other counsel. His word, his counsel stands alone. Amen. His word is holy. The counsel of God is holy. It's, it's otherly. It's, it's not common. It stands alone. And there's a declaration here. His name shall be called. As I, as I was thinking about that, the, the name of God, the names, and there are, as you study scripture, there are a, a, a plentitude of names attributed to God. And all of these names ascribe the, the character, the virtue of our God. And I, I, I thought as I was thinking about the name of God or the names of God, I was uh, taken to, to uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the, the Ten Commandments, right? Do, do not take the name of the, the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, right? And what, what does that mean? And we, a lot of times we think of profanity, right? And I do believe that that is taking the name of the Lord in vain, right? Using uh, God, using the name of the Lord in, in, in vain, casually, commonly. How many of you know that God, the name of, of Jesus is not to be treated commonly? How many of you know we live in a culture that treats it as common? In, in fact, uses it as a slur, as a cuss word, slander, right? Vulgarity ascribed to the name of Jesus Christ. And we, I think as Christians, we, we hear it so often in this world, out in public or in movies or on television, radio, where, wherever, you, you hear that so often that, that the, the name of Jesus is slandered. And that's one meaning of it. But more than that, it is to take, literally to take the name of the Lord. As Christians, that's what happens to us. We take his name, right? We take his name. And what he's saying is that if we take the name of the Lord, we should live worthy of that name, right? It's what uh, John's talking about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Those who say that they follow Christ should walk as Jesus walked, right? And that doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up, that we're, we will live a life without sin, but we are striving in this world to live a life like Jesus. And if, if we don't take that seriously, if we don't strive to live a life that is holy and uncommon and set apart unto God, sanctified, right? The process of sanctification, it's, it's setting ourselves apart unto God. We need to live our lives in a, in a way that says, you know what, I have taken the name of Jesus. How many of you had a mom or dad that says, hey, you, you don't act that way. You're a haze. You're an Epps. You're a low, right? My, my kids don't act like that. Anybody have parents that ever told you that? You, you need to live worthy of that name. I gave you that name. You need to live worthy of it, right? We have received a name that is above all names, and we are to live lives worthy of that name. So just thinking through this process, the, the, the name of God, it is not common. It is wonderful, right? It, it stands alone. Amen? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give this passage of Scripture some context, because it really does. It, it's beautiful. It, it sounds, I think there's a song 
that, that, that has this, right? There's, there's Christmas cards. How many of you have a Christmas card that you've received with this passage of Scripture? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Ever, anybody? You, you've, you've seen it, right? Right? You, you, you see it all over the place. You see it on social media posts. It, it's beautiful. What exactly does it mean? I want to put some context to this, this passage. Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read the, the, the context of uh, verses 6 and 7, which we've already read, in its entire context in, in Isaiah chapter 9. So beginning in verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when, <coughs> excuse me, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, and afterward more heavily opposed her, uh, sorry, oppressed her by, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. And uh, the ESV translation says by the, the glorious way of the sea. Right there in that one verse, it moves from gloom to glory. Right? And then he says the, the, the people who... Uh, I don't know if I finished that verse. By the glorious way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This passage moves from darkness to light. We went from gloom to glory. Now in this next verse, we've gone from darkness to light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. <clears throat> they rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. So from here we've gone from oppression to liberation. So this, in, this, in the context of this passage, we've gone from, from gloom to glory, from darkness to light, from oppression to liberation. Right? And he gives the reason for this in the next verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. And he says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, he, he mentions Zebulun and, and Naphtali, and, and he puts it in the context, it's, it's in Galilee of the Gentiles. This is up in the northern part of Israel, and these, these people lived kind of with this shell-shocked feeling. Whenever Israel was invaded, they were usually in, invaded from the north. The Assyrians, the uh, Syria and Assyria, uh, the, the, now those are two different nations, don't get that confused. It's, it, it can be confusing, but uh, Babylon, these nations would usually come from the attack from the north, and so it was usually Zebulun and Naphtali that were first hit, okay? So these people lived in shell shock and under oppression. They, they had a, a, a mindset of being oppressed, 
of being attacked, right? And so he makes this proclamation in the midst of this. And you have to understand, this is Israel. Israel, and, and, and in their rebellion. How many of you know that God wanted to raise up Israel as a, a mighty nation, as an example, to, to the nations of the earth? That was God's plan and God's intention. But Israel had this problem of rebellion, right? They kept going back to their sin. And so God would send oppressors to discipline them, to, uh, to uh, correct them, to chastise them. And ultimately, the purposes of God were worked out through Israel. But the people here have this mindset of oppression, darkness, gloom. That's the mindset of the people here. And Isaiah is a, it's a beautiful passage of just messianic prophecy of the coming of the king, the coming of a deliverer all throughout this. Isaiah 61 is a, is a passage where it talks about the ministry of this king when he would come. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering of this, this Messiah when he would come. Isaiah 7.14, it says but, uh, that, that a virgin would conceive and, and bear a son Right? And his name would be called Emmanuel, and he would save his people. There's that proclamation. And that's just a few uh, verses that, that, prior to this passage that we've just read. And so it's in this context. And he's promi- Isaiah is promising that there is a coming son that would be born of a virgin, that this son would come, that he would be raised up to be a governor and to be the deliverer that Israel was looking for. That's the promise here. That's the promise. That's the context. Promise of deliverance, right? And I, uh, Jesus himself actually quotes this passage. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus quotes this passage. Beginning in verse 12, Jesus heard that John had been put into prison and he departed into to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And that, it, it, it was so gloomy there that the region, Naphtali and Zebulun, had become known as this valley, this valley of a shadow of death, right? Because of the oppression that they experienced, because of the, the constant combat and warfare that they had experienced. And, and then he goes on and he says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's interesting, Jesus spent most of his ministry around Galilee. These oppressed, shell-shocked people. And it's in fulfillment to this prophecy that we've read here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Jesus comes and he begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom. See, we have to understand that the conflicts, the the things that are going on, we we look at all the things moving. There's a lot of conflict in the earth today. You look at China, you look at Russia, you look at uh, what's going on in in the Ukraine, you look at what's going on in the the Mideast, Israel and Hamas and uh, Iran and all these types of things. I think we've been attacked on U.S. bases in in the last several months about 50, nearly 50 times uh, that that we've been attacked, that there's been some kind of missile strike or some kind of an attack on an American base. 
But when you look at all of these things that are moving in the earth, we have to remember that, that, that this is really not about nations. There is a battle that's raging behind the scenes. It, it, is, it is light and darkness. That's where the real conflict is at. Right? And Jesus shows up in the midst of darkness to declare the light has come. I, I want to encourage you this morning. As we Listen, if you look... I say this a lot, but if you look at CNN, if you look at Fox, if you look whatever your news outlet is, whatever, which one's your favorite, when you look at it, it is very, very easy to get discouraged. This passage should give us great hope. Jesus came and began to declare a kingdom. We have to understand that from, from the time of Christ until now, that kingdom has been being established, right? To the increase, the, the, the government shall be upon his shoulders. And to the increase of that government, there shall be no end. And that is a reality. I think sometimes we lose sight of how absolutely victorious the kingdom of God is. We look at everything that's going on. We, we watch television. We watch what's going on all around us. You look at all of the perverse things coming out of Hollywood. You look at economics. You look at all, and it's very easy to, to start to begin to despair. But the reality is, Jesus has already won. And his kingdom is a victorious kingdom. Amen? And to the end of that, the increase of that, that kingdom, there will be no end. Amen? I, I, I've got a video. Do we, do we have that one queued up? This video, I've been wanting to show this here for a little while. We, we, we did a series about the gospel of the kingdom, and I wanted to, to show this. I, I want to show you this video that illustrates how powerfully, over the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of God has advanced. Do we have that? You see up in the left-hand corner, that's the year. All of the white represents Christianity. Watch the spread. earth, and then I'll come. 
Folks, Jesus is going to come back and he is going to set up his kingdom and he is going to rule from the throne of David forever and ever and ever and ever. And we are a part of a glorious kingdom. Amen. We don't have to, I'm going to say it again. Don't look at what's moving in this earth and despair. Don't look at what's moving in school systems and despair. Don't look at what's moving in this nation and despair. Amen. We have a great hope. If, and and it, 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 Jesus picked Nephtali and Zebulun, Galilee of the Gentiles. And, and, and he went there and started his ministry so that this, it's a, a beautiful picture that out of gloom comes glory. Out of darkness comes light. And we look at these situations, every time you, you see darkness, whether it's in this nation or in this world, in a, in a system, whatever it is, every time you see darkness, you know what it is? It's an opportunity for the light of Jesus Christ to, to shine. What do we do when we look out at situations and circumstances? What do you, is it dark at your work? Is it dark where you go to school? You know what it is? It's an opportunity for you to shine. We Christians are very good at cursing the darkness. We can, look, look, it's dark over here. We can point out. It's dark over here in this room. It's dark over in this corner. It's dark over there in that school district. It's dark in this government building. It's dark over here. It's dark in this nation. We're really good at pointing out the darkness. You know what we are whenever that happens? We're a thermometer. We're moving up and down by what we're experiencing. We as Christians are not called to be thermometers. We are called to be thermostats. We're not here to be moved by what's moving in the earth. We are here to move something in the earth, and it's called the kingdom, the kingdom of light. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and we are here to advance that. We as Christians should be thermostats, not thermometers. We need to set the, the, the gauge. Instead of cursing darkness, you know what we need to do? Flip the light switch. Shine the light. Go into that dark workspace and shine for the glory of Jesus Christ. Go into that school district and shine for the light of uh, the glory. Instead of cursing the, the school board, why don't you run for a seat on the school board and shine as a light for Jesus Christ? Instead of looking at all these things and despairing, we need to just shine with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Guess what I believe God's called us to do. In, the, in, in God's kingdom, things move from gloom to glory, from dark to light, from, from oppression to liberation. You think about the, the, the power of the gospel. How has the gospel tram, transformed your life? And this gospel works. We're, we're here as ambassadors. We are here as representatives for that king in Isaiah chapter 9. We're here to represent the one who is called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We are here as representatives of him and his kingdom. Right? And he is working through us. He is working through us. You know, the, one, of the, one of my favorite aspects or things to contemplate about the gospel is the, the, how little we have to do with any of it. We're just recipients. And then vessels that God uses. That's all that we are. We, we think it's so much about us, and it's really not. I love the last line of this passage that we read. The last line in verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. It doesn't say the, the host will perform it. 
It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the passion of the Lord of hosts. How many of you know that our God is a God of passion? Amen. Jesus said the zeal of the house had consumed him. Jesus was passionate. Jesus had a passion. In fact, his sufferings on the cross were called his passion. You think about that. He's passionate. I don't know if you know this, but he's passionate. He's, he's mad about you. Every single one of us. The reason he went to the cross and died on that cross was for you and for me. He's passionate about us. He's passionate about his children. He's passionate about his church and his kingdom. He's passionate. Amen? We, we read that scripture last, last week out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, that, that, that says we have not received a kingdom that can be shaken. So we ought to have thanksgiving and stand in awe and reverence for our God because our God is an all-consuming fire. God burns with passion. And his passion is performing his will in planet Earth. Isaiah, one of the great prophecies of Isaiah says that, that the, 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 there was no justice in the earth. And the Lord looked for man, but there was none to be found. So he put his armor on, and by his own mighty arm, he brought justice. He brought justice. You know, in, in Ephesians, where we talk about the armor of God, the, 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 the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the Lord, actually in Isaiah, puts those, that's why it's called the armor of the Lord. It's his armor. It's not our armor, it's his armor, and we get to put it on. Right? Because he is active. It was him who came to this earth. It was this mighty God. It was this everlasting Father. It's this Prince of Peace. It's this all-wise counselor who himself came to save us. What a glorious story. What a glorious gospel. And we have very little to do with it. You know, the only part we have is the surrender. It's the repenting. It's, it's, and repenting, stop running from God, turn to him, and embrace his love, his mercy, and grace. Come to God. That's the, only, that, that's the only thing we can do. Stop running. Stop the rebellion. Stop fighting him. That's the only thing that we, the only part we have in this is the surrender, yielding to his mighty hand. I, I thought of the, the, the salvation of, of God and, and what all that means. Made me think about this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. A line in my notes that I almost forgot. This is good. This is good. The passion of God is moving human history towards the ultimate triumph of Jesus Christ. The passion of God is moving human history. Did you see that? Did you see how the gospel is advancing through planet Earth? It's the passion of our God. And it's moving human history towards the ultimate triumph of Jesus Christ. Why, why do we despair? Why do we get so upset with current events, with what's going on in the Earth? These things are written. 
Wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nation. Earthquakes, famines, pestilence, and floods. And we're all excited about it. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Endure to the end. Take hold of the promises of God and refuse to give up. We're going to go through this. We're going to experience some difficulties. We're going to be hated and persecuted because he is hated. Right? All, all of these things are foretold. And, and when they happen to us or when we see these things moving, we, we get all excited like God's lost it or something. Listen, God's got it. Every action in human history ultimately is bringing the purpose of God about on planet Earth. Relax. Relax. The government is on his shoulders, not our shoulders. He's king. I'm not. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to sort it out. You know, all I have to do is hear what he's saying and obey it. It makes life really, really easy. Think about it. Think about it. Last passage. I'm going to ask, can our worship team come back? Can we do that? First Peter. It says this, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. I love this right here. And the glories that will follow. Every single day, as followers of Christ, as believers in Jesus, we are experiencing those glories. Salvation. Liberation, deliverance, freedom, healing. Every good thing that we experience is because of what Jesus Christ has done. The sufferings of the cross, right? Every, everything. The glories that would follow his sufferings. I, I love that. That leapt out to me. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves... But to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. There's another reminder that when we preach, when we're declaring this message about Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. It's the Holy Spirit. And he wraps this up by saying, these are things which angels desired to look into. Here's my hope this morning. David Cook, he told this story about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln went down around the corner from the White House to the, I think it was the Presbyterian Church, and he went with a a senator. They walked to church that morning and listened to the message, and on the way out of church, that senator says to him, man, what a beautiful message and he began to go on about all of the, the elaboration, the oratory, the eloquence of, of this preacher. And Abraham Lincoln's response was, so what? 
So what? And David Cook said that's a preacher, that, that's a question that every preacher should ask himself. So what? He gave us an outline of three questions that, that when we're preparing messages, we ought to ask. What? What are we going to tell them? So what? Why does it matter? And now what? Now what? What's the application? I've been talking in this passage, Isaiah 9 and 6. Pastor, how do we apply this to our lives? Here, here's what my hope would be. That we would take a step back and we would stand in awe of a God that we have made common. We read these words on Christmas cards and they don't mean that much to us. We are the heirs of salvation. We are enjoying the benefits of it and we just take them for granted. Right? We have received a great salvation. And the picture is God came into the midst of the oppressors and turned our gloom into glory, our darkness to light, our oppression, you were in the oppressor's hand. Sin had you bound. It's amazing how quickly we forget. Do you remember the grip of sin in your life? Do you remember that addiction? Do you remember that stronghold? Do you remember that mindset that used to torment you? And Jesus has set us free. This is the context of this, this beautiful, glorious passage. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And to the increase of his government, there shall be no end. The application for us as a church, and really it's going to be this entire series, that we would just stop and stand back and stand in awe of this mighty God this wonderful counselor, that we would not treat God as common. Let's stand together. Here's how I want to wrap up. We're going to sing, and I want you to worship. King of glory, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. I want you to celebrate the fact that he is winning a victory, that the nations are coming to know Christ, that the gospel is advancing. I, I look forward to the day, I believe we're going to see it in our lifetime, when the 1040 window closes. This, this void, this inability to reach into these hard nations, that this generation is going to raise up an army of missionaries that's going to go into that window. And we're going to see the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment. I want to see Jesus. I want Jesus to come. I want to read a passage of Scripture, and then I want us to worship. This is, this is Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3 says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified.
His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of what you have done. Father, my heart is full of gratitude today. I thank you that I can walk in relationship with you. That the sin that once hindered has been dealt with. That you have made a way. And you've brought me into life. You've transferred us from darkness into light. You've made us a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of our God. We stand today and we exalt. We give you glory because of all of the glories that we have experienced. Lord, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for setting us free. I thank you for healing us. I thank you for touching our minds and giving us peace. Lord, I thank you that the chastisement of our peace was upon you and that by your stripes we were healed. We bless you and we honor you today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let's bless the name of our God.